0: wives of holistic heritage home birth hope y'all had a great
1: weekend great week since we saw you last um I don't know if I should be admitting this but y'all I went to the movies
0: oh I told somebody today you went to the movies because I was jealous that you ate popcorn
1: I did I had movie theater popcorn they did a really good they had um, separated really well. So there was always a seat between you and your party, like one or two seats between. So they had it really separated. They did have us wear masks, um, which you could take off to drink or eat. So what do you do in the movie? You eat the whole time. Well, I didn't eat the whole time, but still it was nice.
0: And you know what I did in my disappointment? Because I was jealous. I was quite envious that you had popcorn (laughs) and I was, I could taste it and I could see the butter on my fingers and like, Movie theater popcorn is my jam. And I had convinced Chris on the way home, hey, let's just drive by the movie theater because I am that pathetic that I'll just go buy popcorn <laughs> and take it home. I don't even have to go to the movies. I just want the popcorn. And we pulled up and there it was closed. Aww. No like no cars. I don't even like maybe
1: they're in the back. <laughs> closer.
0: No, close.
1: We were so happy because that's like something Ted and I've been doing for years. We've been dating for 35 years and going to movies. So it's been our thing. Um So we were so excited to go to the
0: movies. Yeah, I'm ready to go.
1: And i got to tell you, I know it's not great for the theaters money wise, but I really
0: like having that space of nobody sitting next to me.
1: Well, In I general, don't like, I like to it. hear
0: people eat. Yeah. So if you come sit by me crunching and making all kind of butt licking noises. I'm not having it.
1: That's probably why she's never invited me to the movies again because I love to crunch my popcorn. You do crunch. I love You're the crunch. You're lucky I like
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't do the butt licking noise. No. You only
1: crunch. I just want to hear the crunch.
0: Yeah, like, an... no. yeah, like how a dog licks their butt. That's a noise No. Thing. I can't handle it. No, but I do Chris
1: crunch it. it. I love the
0: crunch of popcorn.
1: Like, if it doesn't have a good crunch, I'm satisfied
0: with it. And the thing is, I will get up and move if somebody gets a pickle and sits next uh, to me. Oh,
1: yeah, that's gross.
0: I, I'd rather smell ass than pickle.
1: Yeah. And the other thing about, like, having the distance is you don't have the perfume smelly anymore. Like, I smelled no perfume, which
0: I really loved. Okay, Because nobody jealous. was right next to me. We digress. It's Anyways, your fault today. It wasn't me. It was your fault. No. You did it.
1: Yay, movies. We're going to talk about... Um,
0: what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about evidence-based care. Yes. And, um Like, most people don't even know what that actually is. They just think, oh, that's the scientific portion of it. And that's really just one part of the triad of what evidence-based care is. Um, and then also some things that we just do that we think are evidence-based, and they're straight garbage. They yes. have no backing, so evidence-wise.
1: If, is it provider? Is that what they want to do? Or is that the evidence?
0: Hi, yeah. Heather.
1: Thanks for joining us. Um, and that you can say... No,
0: I don't think I'll do
1: that today. Which kind of goes, like, probably in the future, Midwife Monday, I really want to go into depth of what informed consent is. Yeah. Um, Really in deep, like, what's the law? What does it really mean? Um, And how often do they have to get consent for everything that they're doing?
0: Because most of the time, I think these contracts are null and void because they are not giving you the information. They're just saying, this is about your financials. Sign here. This is about VBAC. It's not here. That's yes. not informed consent. No,
1: <laughs> no. So I've been doing some like research on the actual laws of informed consent and what they mean and how they were written, um, and what does ACOG say? So, and I've been a little fascinated by what I've read. So we'll have to make that a another Midwife Monday to really yeah. go into depth of what it means, so people know exactly what their rights are, um, and they are kind of being violated.
0: This is one of your favorite things because you it get really all hot. is.
1: I'm hot about it.
0: Like, I just almost said something so gross and I released yeah, it. Yeah,
1: don't be gross.
0: <laughs> she loves being gross. I thought of Cardi B and her most recent word that everybody's using and I was like hey, it makes you this, Jay lynn <laughs> You I know that Cardi B. I <laughs> don't you know. You have to look it up, and then you look up her song. And I was going to no. say that this is what you have when you talk about informed consent. No. But I, I released for all you trendy people. You know what I'm talking about. You can laugh at Jalen. Yeah. She'll laugh at herself I'm later. so not trendy. <laughs> I'm not either. I'm old. Hi, dark. Amy. Let's talk about what we're supposed to talk okay. about. Okay, so evidence-based care. Like I said earlier, there's really a tree out of things that come together, and they meet in a cute little diagram, um, which means evidence-based practice, right? So one. One of them is the scientific evidence um, that's what most people think it is in general
1: and when you're looking at scientific evidence is not one study really for something to be evidence-based care it has to be able to be repeated and you get the same results over and over again and then it becomes evidence but right. just because you have one study that says something it's interesting it's thought provoking, but it doesn't mean it's actually true yet. It's and there's all kinds defeated. of different
0: levels of evidence, yes. right? And, and that you have to take a whole college course to know how to decipher evidence, and I'm still learning, right? But,
1: Although uh, Rebecca Decker is doing a series yeah. on how to interpret evidence and in research. So
0: that's a smart chicken. Yeah, she's she's smart, brilliant. and I love what she's doing because she's making information available to people who would not have that information. Yeah, they wanna keep it on lock and key and make it so expensive. That's dumb.
1: Yeah. So uh, Rebecca Decker's from Evidence Based Birth. So if you haven't been to her website and checked her out, go for it. She she's really changing
0: the world. Yeah, I like her a lot. One day I'm gonna meet her in person and I'll yeah. I'll be a weirdo fan and she'll then get a restraining order against me. No <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so evidence, like scientific evidence. That's the first part of the of the pie um, the second part is our clinical experience like what do we actually see in our practice because that may be different depending on the community you're in depending on what their diet is depending on um, what their social influences are um, all those things just what do you see because maybe they haven't pregnancy and birth and, and babies is really a hard thing to do um, scientific research on because it sometimes crosses the lines of F- Efficacy? Yeah. Ethical? Ethics. Ethics. It crosses that line, right? Because who's gonna sign up to have their baby be a guinea pig? You know? Right. So we don't have a whole lot on certain topics. So sometimes we just lean on our clinical experiences. Experience.
1: And you really have to like as clinicians, uh, and providers, we have to really check our bias because just because we've had an experience mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's the evidence. And it's really having to balance what the evidence is in our small little world. Right. And oftentimes, clinicians, physicians, nurses, they base their opinion on what they've actually seen, but they've only seen a small piece of the pie. They're not looking at the whole picture. So we can be really biased. Absolutely. Um, based on our experience, which maybe one experience doesn't make a truth for everyone.
0: No, it needs to be like, like for example... Um, we always tell our clients to eat lots of protein. There is some scientific evidence behind that, but it's also through experience over all these years of seeing how great it is and what the benefits are for mom and baby. So that's where we're looking at both pieces of the pie. We've seen it in our in our um, clientele and we've seen it in the evidence. So you've got two. Right. The third little piece of that is, um, what are your values? Mm-hmm. So for example, we know that evidence... Tells us that if you have that little negative in your blood and you're an Rh negative um, person, that you should have Rogam. The evidence tells us Rogam. But if your values aren't aligned with that, then that doesn't work.
1: Because Rogam is considered a blood product, um, so you may have values that you don't accept blood products, and so you're not going to want that, or you just may not want it in general. Right,
0: and it's. Same with gestational diabetes screening. Like everybody has their own personal values, and we have to put that into consideration when we're looking at the giant picture. You can't make everybody do it just because that's what the evidence says, because that doesn't work for everybody. Agreed. So that's the triad. It's not just evidence, it's all three of those have to come together in one beautiful picture. Yes.
1: Okay. And then, so some of the things that happen in general—that's what we we're going to talk: evidence versus what's happening, right? Um, one of the first things is really cervical exams, don't you think?
0: Yeah, way overdone, and they're done at all. Why? Yeah. Why, especially before labor? Why?
1: Yeah, because that's a provider's prefer- prefer- preference thing. I can say it. Versus what does the evidence show us? Like, we hear all the time um, clients, uh, potential clients, or just people on social media telling us that their doctor starts checking their cervix at 36 weeks, sometimes 35 weeks. Why are they doing that? Is it evidence based? No. No, but they want to know. Sometimes they're sweeping membranes when at 36, And not weeks. even
0: asking. Not uh-huh. even asking.
1: Is it evidence-based? No. But are they do? it's totally provider preference. Um, and you may not realize this, but y'all can say no. So when you go in for those 35, 36-week appointments and the nurse is
0: telling you to take your pants off,
1: just don't take your pants
0: off. Or say, well, what are, what are we doing that for? Yeah. I, I don't want to do that. No. If you want to do it, have at it. Yeah. That's where the client preference comes in. But there's no evidence to say that it does anything at all, that it helps in any way. Um, and actually, it's uncomfortable and it comes with risks, so maybe you don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, another one that's a big hot topic is um, delayed cord clamping. Mm-hmm. That is evidence-based. We want to give our baby all that blood, all those cells that haven't decided what they want to be. Um, those have healing properties in them, and, and they can go and find something that's not correct and fix it because they're a cell that hasn't determined what they want to be yet right those stem cells those are gold why wouldn't you want to give them to your baby
1: right and what seems to be controversy about that really is how long do you um, delay the cord clamping. Um, most hospital situations, I give it like 60 seconds, which is some evidence that that's really good. It's better than nothing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have like in the home birth world, even birth centers where it's going on until the placenta releases or even longer. You're not cutting it or you don't cut it at all. You do a lotus, what's called a lotus birth. So where, where's the evidence in there? There's really not any evidence on the other end of that doing it for hours.
0: Yeah. Um there's not very much evidence at all like the timing of it but we do know that that is the baby's blood babies do better when they get their own blood in their stem cells right
1: not only that if you've got a baby that um forgets that they still have a job to do when they're born and they need to breathe. It's hard to breathe. Right? Sometimes they just forget they got things to do. They're still oxygenating and getting blood to their cord. So why cut the cord if your baby's not breathing? Leave them on the- It's a a lifeline.
0: It's a lifeline. You don't want to cut it if they're not breathing. It always blows my mind, because I can remember times in the hospital over and over and over, if they'd have a tight nuchal, they would cut the cord before the baby was out at the perineum. I'm like, what are you doing? So yourself that baby out, undo it, like figure it out. Don't cut the lifeline, but they do. I think it has to do with um, preference, but also just, what's the word? Um, It's convenient. It's convenient to cut the cord and pass the baby off.
1: Right. And I think Andy and I were just discussing before we started this, that OBs, unlike midwives, OBs don't take care of babies at all, right? So the minute the baby's born, it's out of their scope the minute the baby's born, right? So where midwives are licensed to take care of babies from the minute they're born, typically for the first month of life is what their scope of practice says. So they don't, they get scared about babies.
0: And in the hospital, there's a whole team that comes in for your baby, right? So we have to make room and typically mom's in the bed, there's probably the labor and delivery nurse on one side, a partner on another side, the OB down at the bottom of the bed. There's really not any space to do all the things that are evidence, like delayed cord plant, because they want to cut that cord and they want to hand the baby off to blankets to go to the right. warmer. Um, that makes me mad. And then the other thing we've messed up because we've done that is now mom's not getting skin to skin for that full golden hour because we have to rub a baby down at a warmer. That's yeah. And I know they're getting better. I've been in the hospital, I've seen them doing immediate skin-to-skin, skin, but they don't leave it there for the hour. Um, and I think it's just because convenience. They can't get in there and assess the baby. They, yeah. can't, they can't do all the things. Yeah.
1: And I think for the physicians too, um, they want to just have the baby and get out of the room. So they can't, they're not done. Like The birth isn't done until after the placenta happens, right? So they want to get that placenta out because they're ready to move on to the next thing. And I'm not being mean to them, they're busy. They've got lots of patients. Well, there may be somebody in the
0: next room that they're waiting to go catch another baby, and they can't leave until
1: right. So, like, really, I'm not meaning to pick on them. That's just the way the system is. So they're like, okay, let's get that placenta out so they can be done, and they can be like, okay, bleeding's under control, and they can get out of the room because they're not taking care of a baby. All they have left is a placenta, so they're kind of in a
0: hurry. Yep. Um, Which isn't your problem, by the way. That's their problem. Right. Other things. Um, Not eating and drinking. (sighs) Ridiculous, y'all. You need the energy through labor. There probably is a point, you know, once transition hits that you're not going to want to eat or drink. And that's your body telling you you don't want to eat or drink. Okay, listen to your body. Still smart to take little sips of water. um, But in that early part, all the way up to when you're not hungry anymore, if your body's telling you that you need fuel, you freaking need fuel.
1: And the evidence is so clear on this. I don't know if you told you this, but my senior product project when I graduated with my master's was eating and drinking in labor. What's the evidence? Um, I actually got to present it at the hospital. I was doing clinicals, and they changed their guidelines. Uh-oh get it girl whoop, whoop. but anyways it's so clear the evidence is so clear and that's not even in obstetrics research this is uh, most of the research is done through anesthesiology so anesthesiologists y'all know if any are listening it's okay for the women to eat and drink and labor we're not concerned about it so I don't know why they haven't changed it
0: well I was always told the reason that they don't let them eat and drink and labor is because what if they need a C-section. They're prepping for the what if. They're prepping, which is a lot of the things, a lot of the interventions is in preparation of the ball to drop. If we don't do those things, the ball doesn't usually drop.
1: But the research doesn't support that. So even in anesthesiology, when you're talking about drinking, what if you have to go and you have to have that emergency C-section? It used to be the kind of drugs that they used to anesthetize you with were really harsh and they would make you throw up and you would aspirate, breathe in all those stomach bile and acid and that did cause some lung damage, right? Um, But that hasn't happened in over 90 years now. Two, the anesthesia that they use is less caustic. Three, they're giving you something that neutralizes those acids before they take you down. So Mm -hmm. even if you were to throw up and aspirate, it's not at the pH level that's gonna cause the lung damage. So, and the last thing is they're gonna suck it all out when it's happening. So it's not evidence-based to even worry about. What was interesting when I did that research too, like for any surgery, it's not really evidence-based that you don't have to eat for 12 hours prior. it just the aspiration. Or even drink, water.
0: water. Yeah, it's
1: ridiculous. Yes, not evidence
0: based. Eat and drink. Have people sneaky stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was straight having people sneaking stuff. Because and you're in a bad mood when you don't eat something. Yeah. That'd be cranky.
1: And how are you supposed to do the work of labor on an empty stomach? With no, no absolutely not. Silly.
0: And some people are there for a two and three day induction.
1: Yes. And having nothing.
0: Yes. That's absurd. Exactly so not evidence based. Hello everyone. Look at all these <clears throat> people that jumped in. Wendy, Shelby, oh, Hannah. Um, other things. How about let's just talk in general about the bed? Ugh. The bed in general. Um, being in the bed, the positions you're in in the bed. Supine, which is the fancy word for being flat on your back when you're pushing, is the absolute worst position you can push a baby in. And it is the position that you get put in. Yes, sometimes they'll push your back up a little bit, but you're still in a reclined flat position where your pelvis is getting flattened. And then they're going to put your legs up in stirrups. This is not using the mom's strength when your legs are up in stirrup. Imagine pooping in that position. I don't know that I'd be able to drop a deuce in that position. So how could you push a baby out?
1: It's
0: difficult. And a deuce isn't the size of a baby, so no, and we have more tears when we're in that position. Um, It's all about convenience.
1: And the evidence shows, like, it's so clear that that makes your pelvis the smallest that it can be. And that's where you have shoulder dystocias. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, oh, you're going to have a big baby, you're going to have a shoulder dystocia. Yeah, if I have my baby on the back, I probably am going to have a shoulder yeah. dystocia with a big baby.
0: So you get any position you want. Just because they're setting up the bed with stirrups doesn't mean you have to put your legs up in stirrups. It doesn't mean you can't roll over and get on your hands and knees. You get to birth your baby the way you want to. Yep, And those stirrups, most nurses know how to get those stirrups so you can at least be side-lying and you can have that one leg get lifted up with it. There's all kinds of ways they can manipulate the bed and drop different parts so you can be on hands and knees. Lots of good graphics online if you look it up, the way to um, manipulate the hospital bed to labor and to birth and push.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you can get, it's the most convenient for the physician, let's face it. And I will admit, it is super convenient to see a baby being born because you can, we, the viewers, have the best view. And then to be there for the whole
0: thing, for the placenta and then the suture. You're already there. The light's pointed right at you. Like, everything is lined up exactly for that. But it's not Mm evidence-based and it's not actually the best.
1: Yeah. And it's not the most convenient for the client. No. No.
0: And to just kind of stay in that um, avenue, coach pushing. No good. No good. We're blowing babies out too fast. We're not letting skin stretch, so we're having more tears. We're stressing the baby out because, oh, we've got to push for 10 straight seconds, three times every single surge, when really the birther is the one that knows when and when not to push.
1: And every now and then coach pushing is called for, uh, but that's... The rarity, not the norm.
0: Right. It's not the evidence base to have coach pushing. Everyone in the room is really hot. It's like, it's tense. Four people don't need to be counting to ten and screaming at you and telling you all the things you're doing wrong. Like, let's learn how to push before we're pushing. Like, what you're going to do. And we always do that. You know, you're going to breathe in, listen to your body, and you're going to push in your bottom like you're making a bowel movement. You can just make a big poop. We call it breathing your baby down. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All your, all your energy to your bottom, not in the face. Yeah. Your body will do it. Yeah. It's amazing. And really, you don't really have to do anything. A baby's going to come out. And the evidence
1: shows that you're actually going to have a shorter pushing phase if you don't do direct pushing.
0: And less tears.
1: Less tears, shorter phases. Because everything's relaxed down below, a baby's going to come down. When you're doing force pushing, you're actually tightening everything in your butt, which now you're pushing a baby against a force, which makes it longer and harder. And that's how you're getting tears, because you're...
0: And it's not just that big tear that everybody thinks about, like where you need sutures down at the perineum, but we get little micro tears inside Mm -hmm. just from forcing, even if it's like a little elbow or ear, like whatever the chin, we're getting little micro tears all up and down the vagina, not just in the perineum that could not happen if we're letting things stretch.
1: And on that as well, when you're doing force pushing, if a baby's in a little bit of a funky position, like their head's this way, or they got an arm, you're, you're, you're forcing them into that birth canal in that funky position but if you let your body do it the baby's going to kind of adjust self-adjust themselves a much easier instead of being forced through in that funky position so you really want the body to push it out push the baby out and then the baby
0: will self-adjust um another one that's not evidence-based every single baby getting the eye ointment
1: Even if you have a C-section, they do it.
0: Yeah. So, the eye ointment (laughs) is an antibiotic eye ointment, which I'm so happy we have it now for when we need it. Great. It's one of those things, like a C-section. Happy we have it when we need it, but y'all, you only need it. It is for an STD, gonorrhea. um, If the baby gets it in their eye, then they can get infected and it can cause blindness, but if you don't have gonorrhea. Your baby doesn't need the eye ointment, but and if your baby doesn't
1: come through the birth canal,
0: right? We don't have gonorrhea on our belly if we're having a belly birth, so yeah, it's only especially if your water
1: hasn't broken and the baby's been sealed up. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy, and most people do it because that's what the pediatricians want. I guess pediatricians just don't trust moms; they want every baby to get it so they don't have to worry about anything. But
0: you know whether or not your baby needs it. Yeah,
1: it does cause irritation in your baby's eyes.
0: We're um, introducing antibiotics to babies that don't have um right. a good gut biome yet. So. And we
1: have definite problems with antibiotic resistant uh, bacteria today. So let's kind of start it. Agreed. Let's. We right talked about that.
0: belly birth, y'all. We have almost a fifty percent C-section rate in some hospitals in Houston. This is not evidence-based. The World Mm -hmm. Health Organization, last time I looked, I think it was 13 Yeah, I just looked recently, I thought it said 10%. 10%, that's the goal. So we only really need C-sections in that little range, right? Like around 10%. And that is what you're seeing typically in the the statistics of midwives and out of hospital birth. But in hospital birth, because of the interventions we're doing that aren't evidence-based, we are having more C-sections. And because of the time, structured, you know, it's a, it's an issue with time and convenience and not wanting to get sued. Right. And if you look at the C-section rate
1: amongst midwifery care in general, whether that's hospital, home birth, or or um, birth centers, it's 10% or lower, many times lower, but we're also working with a low-risk environment, Which right? Which true. So we should be lower than 10% in the low-risk women. But right? nobody
0: should be 50%.
1: But nobody should be 50%. And if you're working with a higher risk clientele, people that have heart condition or type 1 diabetes or blood clotting issues, um, we're talking some serious conditions, then you could see why they might have a higher level of C sections. But really, even they shouldn't be 30, 40, 50%. Right. I think you could get it down to 10. Um, but remember, we went to that event, and that one doctor said he doesn't ever see that c section rates improving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If they're not going to believe it, then it's not going to happen.
0: Which is unfortunate.
1: Right. And some of that is not doing VBACs, which is
0: evidence based. Which is evidence
1: based. <laughs> <laughs> That's one birth after cesarean. Totally evidence
0: based. How long have we been yapping?
1: We've been yapping.
0: Oops. We could go on and on and on because the system is just broken. and um.
1: And if y'all have anything you want us to talk about, what is evidence or not, just pipe on in. Question, should those with autoimmune plan a C-section? Could they give, of course they could. Um, autoimmune disorders cover a vast, vastness, a lupus, Thyroid disorder, Hashimoto's, yeah. Hashimoto's de- thyroid, um, all kinds of autoimmune. So, no, you can have a
0: normal birth. Absolutely. I have Hashimoto's and I've had four, up uh, four, jeez, and bread. I'm forgetting one of my kids. I have had five vaginal births, no issues.
1: So why do they insist on the eye ointment to extent reporting CPS if you deny it? They've actually stopped that practice, um, Heather, um, reporting new CPS. You can decline it. The state says that we have to offer it. That's the law. But you don't have to accept it. So they have stopped
0: that practice.
1: Although they still get cranky in some hospitals. They it do get cranky. And
0: at. I think they just don't know what the information is. Right. Uh, but that is going away. And we're so happy about that. How do you find out particular hospitals and doctors' statistics? You can call and ask them. Um, there was also one in oh gosh, one of the Facebook groups kept track of that, um, and the Texas Department of Health has it. Mm-hmm. You can go into, you can actually type it in. What is the C-section rate for such and such? But you can call the hospital and ask. You can call the labor and delivery floor, and your doc, your specific doctor should also have those statistics, and he should be able to share those with you. Um, or your midwife. Everyone should know that statistic and be able to just give it to you. They may not though. Well, they can find out. They can find
1: out. Have them find
0: out before you hire them. They have a 50 percent, 60 percent c-section rate. That might not be what you want. If it's what you want, have at it. But if not, there's lots of different providers that don't have that.
1: Yeah, Uh, Definitely ask. Um, And ask their point of view about c-sections and natural birth if that's what you want. If y'all don't get the right answers that you're looking for in that first visit, don't that's go a back. Huge red flag. Don't go back or interview them. I mean, people interview us before they hire us. Um, I interview your any provider before you hire them.
0: And people interview pediatricians before their baby's born to make sure that's who they want to go to. But so rarely do people interview their OB. Yeah, yeah. like they're not worthy of great care. Yeah. Well, good. I
1: don't know that OBs are even providing that option. Well, to interview. make them, so make them.
0: yeah, you have to pay for it properly, but make them.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Um, How do you find out? Oh, we did that one.
1: Are they honest though? I don't know if they're honest, Hannah. That's what I'm wondering. Because uh, there's a site, there's a site that you can go. Just look up C-section um, rates in my area, and you'll get some official sites. And sometimes, like, um like. I think Memorial Herm in the Woodlands in 2018 was 50%. Um, but if you looked online to what's officially, what what had been reported, I think it was like 30%. I'm like, what? Where are the numbers? So what's true? I don't know. I don't know. Too. I don't know if they are reporting it true or not. Um, and I want to know if I were interviewing, what's your C-section rate with first-time moms? Mm-hmm. It just tells me someone's not being patient, because so, so often, first-time moms are rushed, and it's so unfair, not evidence-based. And
0: what is your success rate with VBACs? Yeah, definitely. Those are good questions to ask. So anyways... And just so you know, our C-section rate is 3%. Yeah.
1: It's getting to be less, because uh, we're almost at 100 bursts for our practice. Bam, bam. Yeah. So that was a Next job. month by the time we have our 3 year anniversary we'll have 100 births. So, uh, that'll be cool. We're excited. And our numbers are
0: really good. We're really proud of our clients take it seriously. Yeah. And they take their health into their own hands yeah. and they
1: I don't think it's us. They I think live our health. Yeah, they're just- so good about taking care of themselves. It's all you Bravo. guys. You guys all have the power. It's not your providers, it's not your midwives. It's you. You yep. have the power.
0: Let's go eat tomorrow. All right.
1: Bye y'all. Have a great week. Um if you post questions about things, we'll answer um as we go. Thank you.